3.30 Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. A little clue to what I'm watching Sunday after church for this year's Super Bowl as the Kansas City Chiefs take on the San Francisco 49ers. It's just a game, but a game I always try and catch. As of Wednesday, the average price of tickets sold on StubHub was 8600 down from about 9300 on Monday. Last week, seats were going for more than $12,000 on SeatGeek. My wife and I don't typically watch the halftime show. That's when we replenish our plates with boiled shrimp and crudites. Healthy fare for a football game. And I want nothing to do with the Taylor Swift controversy. And no, I'm not telling you who I'm rooting for and why. Some of these players can be upfront on who comes first in their lives. Rock Purdy of the 49ers. He says, God and Jesus are going to be my identity. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus. Here it is Friday. We're wrapping up a series called The Promise of Jesus. And over the last few weeks, we've been hearing from our friend Johnny Erickson Tata. And with me again is Haven's new president and speaker, David Wolin. David, Johnny's been such a great addition to the program, and I know that she's been a blessing to both of us as well. Mm-hmm. She has, Charles. And, you know, I was a kid growing up, and I was aware of Johnny's story even then, her accident, living as a quadriplegic. I knew she was a Christian with a powerful testimony, but wow. A few weeks ago, sitting down with her next to you and recording this interview, I was just blown away by the authenticity of her joy in Jesus. I've learned to see God's goodness and his richness and his sweetness and his intimacy and, mm-hmm. and everything about him that I absolutely adore and, and I, I worship and I, I, I'm blown away by his, his ability to satisfy me so sweetly and so richly. And honestly, David uh, and, and Charles, I don't know that I've shared this with you even, there, there are times I lie on my bed at night, even now, 56 years later, and I I say, thank you, God. You were you were so wise and not letting me wander down that path of destruction and hang myself spiritually. You you rescued me. You pulled me back from the edge of the cliff. Thank you for that diving accident. I don't know that many people would understand that, but but that's how sweet Jesus is to me. He far supersedes the inconvenience of paralysis. The satisfaction I enjoy in Him is so much richer than anything I could have had walking uh, or using my hands. Well, later in the program, we're going to hear more from Johnny, a powerful word of encouragement that you won't want to miss. So please stick around for that. And for our time opening God's Word together, the conclusion of Christ's great prayer recorded in John 17. And as David puts it, a mic drop moment you won't want to miss. And after the program... Please get in touch for your copy of Johnny's new book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. It's very personal. It's from Johnny, and it's firmly rooted in God's Word. So for your gift to Haven, to support the ministry of Haven, we'd like to send you The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. And after the program, would you come and visit our website to check that out? You can make your gift to Haven today, and you can request your copy of Johnny's new book. That's our way of saying thank you for your support. Just visit haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. 
or call us at 800-65-HAVEN. That's 800-65-HAVEN. And now let's worship together with Stuart Townend and a song that I don't know about you, Charles, but I remember this one from my childhood. Classic hymn, Stuart Townend and To God Be the Glory. If you come from a background of hymns sung out of a hymnal, that's my background as a kid, well, then that melody is probably familiar to you. But it's the words we had in mind. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. That's very much on point for the message today. And Charles, it's time for us now to wrap up John 17. And like that hymn, we get to finish on a high note. 
We certainly do. And David, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, if you had one last moment to speak with those you love, you're about to die, what would you say? Would you go one by one sharing your favorite memory with each person around your maybe hospital bed where you were dying? Or would you offer some words of wisdom to your family, to friends that might be there? Well, in John 17, Jesus gave a final message to his disciples, and it came in the form of a prayer before he went to the cross. Here it is, this prayer, speaking with his heavenly Father. But those disciples were nearby and no doubt listening and reflecting on what he was praying. You might think that it would be a sorrowful moment for Jesus as well as the disciples. But this prayer he prayed was filled with promises and hope for what was to come. So as we conclude looking at Jesus' high priestly prayer, you get to verse 24 and you read Jesus giving us the promise of glory. Listen to this verse. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus used the word glory or glorify no less than nine times during this prayer. He began his prayer by asking that he be glorified. And in his final words, once again, he returns to the topic of his glory. And this tells us that the glory of Christ is really important. Jesus, as the Son of God, is worthy of this glory. But what's astonishing is that Jesus wants his people, I pray you and me, to see and marvel at his glory. It's one of two requests that he gives. Father, I want those you have given me to see my glory. Now that's a humbling request to read. The word that was at the beginning wants us to see his glory. The one through whom all things are created wants to enjoy fellowship with us. But you might be thinking, I'm not worthy of this fellowship. I can't see his glory. And you would be right. As sinful people, we could respond like the prophet Isaiah, who saw the Lord in heaven and cried out, Woe is me! I am a man of unclean lips. This sight would be terrifying to sinners. But Jesus knows that. He knows that in our current frame, we aren't able to see his glory and stay alive. And that's why before he asks the Father that the church see his glory, he asks that God's people enter into glory. Jesus prayed, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Now, remember the story of the dying thief on the cross? That was just about to happen. In his final moments, that thief recognized who Jesus was. This was no petty criminal. He was an innocent man. He was the son of God. And remember, Jesus told the repentant thief that on that very day, he would be with him in paradise. That's where Jesus is. Jesus desires that we be with him where he is in heaven. The promise of glory is twofold. Jesus promises that we will enter into glory and that we will see his glory. When we get to heaven, our remaining sin will be purged, never to return again. On that fateful day, 
God's word of sanctifying us will be complete. We will be glorified. So we don't need to be afraid. Yes, we will one day gaze upon the Lord's glory, but it won't be a day of doom and gloom. It'll be the day that faith turns to sight. And Christ has promised that this day will come. In these final words, Jesus is giving the disciples and the church today hope for the future. You know, John, the beloved apostle, thought about this prayer a lot. Of course, he's the one who wrote the Gospel of John. And in John's letter, we call it 1 John, he repeats a lot of the same things that Jesus prayed for, like the promise of glory in Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we do know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now think about that. One day we get to see the glory of Jesus. On that day, we will be changed for the better. It's good news that it's so good we can't just keep it to ourselves, David Woolen. No, Charles, we can't. One day we will see the glory of Jesus. That phrase just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? And our minds quickly maybe shift to whatever might come next in the passage. But I think we need to pause here, just hit the pause button and think about what that really means. I think if we're not careful, we're in danger of hearing and interpreting this prayer of Jesus in worldly terms. So, Charles, I'm thinking about us here on Super Bowl weekend here in the U.S. It's that ultimate achievement for anybody who plays or follows American football. Even still, fans are turned off by blatant glory seekers. If one of the stars of either team went onto social media and said, my main goal for this Super Bowl is for everyone to see my glory and worship me, wouldn't we be turned off? People would say, that guy's got an ego problem and he'd lose respect. So why is it different with Jesus wanting us to see his glory? Well, think of it this way. What's your first impulse when you see a beautiful sunset? Don't you want to share it for someone you love to see it too? Well, who made all that beauty? Isn't it the one who is infinitely more beautiful? The one who alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls? The voice of the Lord Jesus is sweeter than the greatest music ever composed. He's more precious than any relationship or joy we've ever known or could know. Such is the glory of Christ and far, far beyond. Nothing can surpass it. And the fact that he wants us to experience the grandeur of his glory is actually evidence of how immense his love is for us. And that's where the end of this prayer of Jesus takes us to love. He concludes with these words, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Well, throughout John's gospel, Jesus has been teaching about the love of God and the love he wants us to show each other. In fact, it was the same night Jesus had said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
So, according to Jesus, love is what demonstrates to the world that the church is indeed the church. And here in John 17, Jesus adds this to five other marks of the church. And all week, Charles, you and I have been talking about these themes like joy, holiness, truth, mission, unity. And now Jesus brings back in the capstone of them all, love. Well, it was decades ago now, the late James Montgomery Boyce wrote and preached about this. And now 40 years later, our world and our culture has changed a lot. But Boyce's words are more relevant than ever. So I'm just going to sum up his observations. Remember how Paul wrote about love in 1 Corinthians 13, that if we take love out of the equation, Paul says, you have nothing and gain nothing. So what if you take love out of these other five marks of the church, which Jesus has been teaching about through his prayer? Well, if you take joy and subtract love from it, what you get is pure hedonism, self-centered, expressive individualism, where a relationship with Jesus has no room to factor in. What if you subtract love from holiness? You get self-righteousness. How about if you take love from truth? You're left with bitter orthodoxy, a teaching that is right but fails to win anybody. Well, how about the mission of the church? What if you remove love from that? You get imperialism, domination, dominionism, a conquest of conformity that fails to transform the hearts of people. And then how about that final mark of unity? Can there be unity without love? We have a word for that. Tyranny. Church leadership with no compassion for people, no desire to connect with or listen to anyone. That's not unity. That's forced uniformity, the opposite of biblical unity. So what does Jesus offer to us so that none of these deformities will characterize his church? Jesus doesn't simply command us to be more loving. This kind of love is not a love we have or possess inside ourselves. Where can we get it? Well, to use a term from my generation, what Jesus says next is a mic drop moment. It's so powerful. You just have to stop and let it sink in. Jesus asks the Father for the love that the Father has for the Son to be the very same love that is poured into all who are in Christ. Jesus's prayer cannot be answered with anything but fulfillment because he's praying in the center of God's will. Now, in a moment, we're going to hear one more time from Johnny Erickson Tata with a fitting word to close out this series in John 17. But just think of this. The love that the Father has for the Son is the love the Father has for you. And in that, we'll see the glory of Christ. Let's worship now with one of my favorite songs from Selah. One day eyes that are blind will see you clearly One day all who deny will finally One day hearts made of stone will break See 
This is Haven Today. I'm David Wolin here with my friend and fellow radio pastor, Charles Morris. Charles, I'm thinking about the glory of Jesus. It should lift up our heads, it should lift up our souls, and it should lift up our voices, just like we heard a few moments ago with Selah. I'm so glad we got to spend time together this week in John 17. Well, I agree, David. Part of the way we see Christ in His glory is by meeting Him and knowing him through his word. And that's something Johnny Erickson taught it, teaches so clearly in her new book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. Earlier, we heard her talking about the joy of knowing Jesus. Well, here she is talking about some practical ways that we can do this. We look at a rose 
And we just don't admire how it was pruned or shaped or its color. We just don't focus on the rose. We look at that rose and say to it, oh, my goodness, little rose, look at how you reflect the glory of your creator. Look at the colors he designed into you. Look at the beauty he invested in you that I might give him praise and glory for this special moment. Look at you, Rose. You, you are a part of the glory of God. I mean, this is, you might think it's silly. This is the way I think. This is the way I talk. It's the way I live. And David and Charles, it gives me such pleasure. Mm-hmm. I, I think the Christian's joy is a sense that somehow they have made it their ambition to be pleasing to God, and in return, they sense that pleasure. And that's the basis for our Christian joy. Johnny wants to encourage every Christian, you, me, David, to see the glory of Christ in all of our lives, and to understand that he's always near us. And I'm so certain that her new book will help you to do just that, to find more time to be with Jesus to grow in your love for Him. And so with that encouragement, could I invite you listening today to come and visit the Haven website? And if you'd like to see inside the book, you can. We have a sample from the practice of the presence of Jesus there on the website. And while you're there, you can request your copy as you make your gift to support this ministry and keep this program on the air, sharing messages just like the one you heard today. So would you come and visit us at haventoday.org? That's haventoday.org or call us at 800-65-HAVEN. Again, that's 800-65-HAVEN. I'm Charles Morris. And I'm David Wolin. Thank you for joining us. Won't you come back again next time? When again together, we get to share the love of Christ and share the great story that's all about Christ here on Haven Today. For your walk with Jesus, I'm David Wolin with Haven Today, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. They were written decades ago, the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings, but they're still capturing our imaginations. Why is that? I think it's because these stories are so similar to reality. A struggle between two kingdoms, one of darkness, one of light. It's so similar to what Paul talked about in Colossians that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But the Bible's story is true, and it comes with a plot twist. You and I started on the side of evil, but God, so rich in mercy, has rescued us through the great King who died for us. See Jesus more clearly through daily time in God's Word. Visit GetAnchor.com.